Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world and welcome to the bloody awesome movie podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from whatiwatchtonight.co.uk and joining me as ever from across the pond is Burke Reviews, one and only, the statesman to my kingdom. It's John Burke. How are you, my friend? I am doing very well, Matt. You know, uh, excited to talk movies with you again. Yes, uh, for this episode, that's a special episode of the BAMP. Usually we have our segmented approach and we talk about film and it's non-spoiler review that. We talk about the headlines this week and what we've been catching up on. But this time, no, no, no. We have, we've done our hair nicely or at least groomed ourselves. We've got our tuxes on, our bow ties. We've buffed our shoes. We've actually just arrived uh, remotely in limousines because it's the first ever BAMP Awards, isn't it, John? And I'm very excited for this. That's right. After uh, a couple of years of doing this podcast, it was time that we jump on board and have an award show for all of the great movies that we watched in 2020. That's right. So we're going to look back at all the films in 2020. Now, these are the films that were theatrically released, whether in the UK or the United States or obviously internationally, plus also festival festival releases as well. Now, we kind of ummed and ahed about how we're going to play this. However, you know, we saw them in 2020, therefore <laughs> they're going on the list. So that was pretty much our criteria. But we've got um, a fair few. Uh, we've got a fair few categories to go through, and I don't know what John's picked, and he doesn't know what I've picked. So this is exciting for me. So John, um, are you ready? Have you got the envelopes that are ready? I have the envelope ready for our first category. Um, this first category is uh, viewing regrets everybody so and this is the idea we didn't get to see this movie that other people were talking about in 2020 uh there is a chance that matt and i will have the same one um now this is for me this is one of those things where critics often get to see the movies a little early and festival releases and so this movie was released and many many people saw it but i personally was unable to see it and i really wanted to i think technically it has a 2021 release date coming up pretty close but i picked nomadland the mm. chloe Zhao film starring francis mcdormand um i i haven't seen a lot of chloe's movies but i'm a big big fan of the writer and so was super excited for nomadland and uh i thought i was going to get to see it before the end of 2020 and that fell through on me um and so now i'm just i'm just waiting i'm listening to everybody else talk about how great it is and i'm sitting here going yeah i want to see it i, I hope oh i can God. watch it um but yeah, it, and I could technically, you know, ne- it might end up on my list next year because it will have an official 2021 release date. But uh, it was for me, I, I see it as a 2020 film because it's, it's going to be eligible for the Oscars coming up here. And it, uh, Chloe Zhao is high on the list of p- possible direct best director awards. And Frances McDormand is on the list for best actress. So uh, I'm extra bummed that I haven't already seen it. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing that as well, ex- for exactly the same reasons that you've just said. I've seen so many outlets saying how good it is and how much of a powerhouse Francis McDormand is again after three billboards the other year and pretty much everything she stars in. And Chloe Zhao's star is rising and rising. Of course, she's got Eternals this year, mm-hmm. but it looks like she may, may start the year with a Best Director, at least nomination. But I think it comes out in February in the United Kingdom. I think it's the same for the States as well. So it's coming out pre-Oscar. But that w- that isn't the one I've picked, however. 
because I had a hunch and feeling that JB may have picked that one. And my one is um, slightly uh, less celebrated potentially, but no less interesting for me, I think. And it's a film uh, that's come out on Apple TV and it stars uh, one of John's favourites, Bill Murray, uh, and also Ah. uh, Rashida Jones, directed by Sofia Coppola. uh, Coppola, sorry. It's an A24 film called On the Rocks. Mm -hmm. Now, have you seen that, firstly? I have not. However that you ask in an effort to cram in as many 2020 movies as I could. I signed up for the free Apple TV plus membership last night. Um, and am planning on watching that film before my seven days expire. So I will, I have watched it by the end of this week. I was going to download Apple TV as well, just for this, but, um, I didn't get around to doing it, but it's about, um, it's a father. Bill Murray is the father. His daughter's played by Rashida Jones. And they're basically, uh, well, the synopsis is they're tailing her suspicious husband, played by Marlon Wayne. It's a comedy drama uh, with those three involved. It could be a lot of fun. Apparently, it's Sophia Coppola's best work for a long time, and it's a lot more. Uh, it's a lot lighter than a lot of her previous works as well. So, yeah. uh, so for me, On the Rocks is my kind of surprise entry as a viewing regret. Yeah, that's that's one. I would say that's also a regret for me because I am such a Bill Murray fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I won't say what movies I watched from Apple TV just yet, but I'll tell you it is worth getting for the, the movies that I'm going to talk about at some that's point, sweet. maybe. And also, uh, there's a couple of uh, pretty pretty popular TV series. I hear Ted Laszlo is really, really good with uh, Jason Sudeikis, and I think it's, he's mm-hmm. a soccer coach. Um, so that's oh, up good, your alley. And then... Uh, the the newsroom. I've heard mixed things, but it's Jennifer Aniston, Steve Carell, and somebody Reese Witherspoon. I think is involved somehow, um, or something like that. Um, yeah, it had a. I remember when Apple TV came out, it kind of premiered with I think it was C, the Jason Momoa um, action Game of Thrones esque, nothing like it show, which I saw the I saw the uh, first episode at Comic Con in the United Kingdom. We had to sit through it. It was and Jason Momoa came out afterwards. Seems like a great guy. Didn't say much. Uh, I think he has to be somewhere quite quickly afterwards. But um, when it came out, Apple TV, I remember a lot of people looking at the slate and thinking, hmm, not really much there. But ha- I, I've noticed it's growing in popularity in some of the shows you've mentioned, a reason why. Yeah, well, and then um, Haley Steinfeld's uh, show Dickinson, her, the second season, I think, just yeah. another reason. And then there's a, a Beastie Boys documentary that I haven't got to see that I'm really, really all about, um, which is an Apple TV exclusive. So uh, and it's... I didn't realize it's a lot cheaper than some of the other streaming services, but there's a lot less content. It feels like it's, I think it's only the Apple exclusives. I don't think you get anything else streaming with it, or at least from what I can tell, but, uh, Oh, and there is a Greyhound or it's a Tom Tom Hanks. Yeah. I missed that one as well this year. That was, that could have been, but I heard it was not great. So I didn't clamor to go and watch it. I I heard it was fine. And you know, if I'm already, if I'm doing the free free trial thing, I might try to cram that one into, I'm definitely going to watch the BC boys doc and on the rocks. And I might, I'm going to try to do at least one of the TV series. There's too many series, like, and I don't know how many episodes they are and whatnot. So, um, and how long the episodes are, but yeah, I think those are pretty solid regrets. Um, you know, this was a crazy year and a lot of people, if you're, if you're just listening to this, maybe you're not as obsessed with movies as Matt and I tend to be. Um, I, I have watched from movies, from the year 2020 and this gets a little wonky on letterbox because some of the movies uh are officially 2020 releases but they might have released in 2019 at a festival and that's the the date letterbox uses so this number's off a little bit i watched roughly 115 2020 movies um 
and then I would say there's probably at least four or five that are 2019 on Letterboxd, but are actually 2020 releases. Uh, one of them I know for sure. So I, I've seen a pretty decent chunk of films from last year. So, uh, still many that I've missed. Though. I have got logged either 75 or 80 that I've actually logged down on my 2020 list. I know I've got about at least 18 more that I've watched. Haven't re- written reviews for, but are quite happy to give a star rating for. I haven't even put Soul on there yet. And so we spoke about that last week. So mine is mine is flirting with the 100 and just over. So again, I think we've we've seen a, a decent amount. Some people may look at that and think, is that it? I mean, it's been a pandemic. We usually, we, usually our list is slightly bigger, but I think we've done quite well to squeeze out that many. Right, yeah. Um, and as especially, actually, I'm sorry, I've seen a few more uh, because... I had, I've logged several in 2021 and I was, I had sorted my list by only last year. So I've seen 125 plus five or six that were 2019. So still, nice. it's still like, you know, in the, I'd say for a single year, that's a pretty average number for the last couple of years for me that with, with film reviewing and podcasting, I tend to month. Yeah. I tend to see a, you know, somewhere between that and um, the summer usually picks up a lot because that's when all the movies come out um, this year, obviously None of these were in theaters um, for the most part. Like the last movie I saw in theaters is not going to be on my list. I saw Bloodshot last in theaters, um, unfortunately. And uh, I didn't make it out to see Tenet. And I didn't try to go see Bill and Ted or anything. I didn't drive to a drive uh, drive-in or anything. Mm-hmm. No, I, uh, from Mar- March, I think Bloodshot was my final film. I think I mentioned it the other week as well. Uh, before venturing out to see Wonder Woman 84, uh, right at the tail end of the year, so that was that was best part. Of literally nine months, an entire term of pregnancy, without going to the movie theaters and sampling that popcorn and soda and all the good stuff there. And um, but thankfully the streaming services have kept us going. And long term listeners will know we spent most of last year talking about streaming films, and they get a bad rap a lot of them, especially Netflix. Some of their originals are um the other side of good, but those streaming services have kept the. I'm not saying the movie industry going, but I certainly kept movie fans, pundits uh, going this year and podcasters like us. Because without Netflix and originals, Amazon Prime originals, Hulu, HBO Max, Disney, all of them, Apple, where, where would we be now? Do you know what I mean? Without the rise of streaming services, <laughs> 2020 could have been very barren. Yeah, it would have been very, very, very different um, for sure. Um, and without studios attempting to adapt, uh, who knows what other movies we could have missed. And that uh, to clarify, if we were the movie regrets that we just gave those awards to, um, we imagine all the movies that we didn't get to see that we were supposed to get to see this year yeah. that easily could be on that list too. If you, we could have done a whole category just on movies we wish we had gotten to see, like we were supposed to, um, De- delayed best delayed movie potentially, yeah. Which I guess we could throw a, a mystery category into at the end of the episode of what we're most looking forward to from. 2020 that got pushed back to 2021 but probably not but let's you want to do the next category uh yeah i'll introduce it it's the best international film uh or best film for those around the world best film not in the english language uh for us guys and again i like to watch international films i like to watch as many as i can it all started uh mid 2000s with the, the the kind of french new wave horrendous horror the films that came out with like, them and uh, martyrs and things like that inside. Uh, and, and ever since then, uh, I've just kind of branched out and wanted to 
see what the world has to offer because for the most part what the world offers is better than what the mainstream offers because they're not they're not scared to go there and when a hollywood film goes there it's considered shocking whereas a lot of other studios around the world are sort of that's potentially quite normal to them and not even not even gross out torture porn but like hard hitting drama um as well so we're talking about the best international film so john what have you got on your winner's envelope for this category my friend so this was a, a tough category because I um, we partake we partook in a uh, a festival called the Fantasia Fest, um, yep. and a lot of the films there were were international films, and so uh, it was an international festival. I mean, it was in uh, Montreal or Quebec, yeah, yeah, um, or is that the same? Anyways, um, so there were a lot of films I saw there that easily could be on this list uh, that I really really enjoyed, and there's some mainstream movies or some bigger movies I saw elsewhere. That also qualify. However, this one just charmed me so, so much. Um, it, it's like a, it's almost like similar to a former Best Picture winner for the Academy Awards. And it's A Mermaid in Paris. Um, I adored this film very, very much. Um, I don't know for sure when everyone's going to get to see it. Uh, I hope soon. Um, because I just thought it was so charming and so it was great to look at. Um, thought the performances were really really good to me it was amelie meets uh um the Telturo film that's uh shape of water there it is um i like shape of water i know matt doesn't but uh more reason why i love this movie right it's amelie and shape of water two movies that i really really enjoyed and um i i was just engrossed with this film the entire time even the poster i just thought was great um it's moved up and down in my top 20 from the year uh it's it's still in there and it's um, so it was easy to kind of decide based on where I keep putting it amongst all of the films I saw from last year. If it's on that list, it deserves the best international film for me. So, no, yeah, we I um, I remember putting that we had it. Me and John had a shared list along with uh, Big Tuna, friend of the show, um, and King. We had a shared spreadsheet uh, for that festival where we'd put down ideas for each other to request and. I think both Big Shaw, Big Tuna, sorry, Big Shaw and Big Tuna, and myself had both put down a Mermaid in Paris. Um, that was one of the ones I remember we put down, and I think JB saw it and picked it up as well. Uh, and I totally agree. That film was just the most one of the most charming films I've seen in in a long time. It's just the right amount of like schmaltz wonder, good storytelling, fun drama. It had an awful lot going for it. And yeah, I put in my review that you cannot get away from the sh- shape, the shape of water comparisons. It's not a direct compare like uh rip, yeah. but you look, you watch a film and you see parallels and it's, you, you can't really get away with it, but it was a wonderful film. And that's a, um, I may or may not mention it again, but that was a very good choice. Mine is uh, another film from Fantasia Fest, uh, which ended up being a fairly topical f- film for the days we live in it's from it's a taiwanese rom-com mm. and it's called i weirdo and i know jb uh was a fan of this film as well and for those who haven't seen it, again similar to what john did about a mermaid in paris i certainly hope this gets picked up soon for a uh at least a streaming release uh so more people can see it basically it's two it's two uh young people a, a girl and a boy they both suffer from chronic ocd um so one has one suffers from uh, mesophobia and the other has a skin condition which is inflamed by going outside plus a bit of kleptomania. And they begin a relationship together and they're kind of like, they revel in the fact that, you know, they what others perceive to be different, they 
they can they can kind of find solace within each other and empathize and sympathize and that's what create that's what their bond is based upon and then as the film goes on things change and there's a really kind of good like tonal shift during it which really got me and then i was in and i i mentioned in the fantasia review that i was proper like into this it really really got got to me touched me i found it really emotional with this film um on the power of the two main performances it was an awful lot in there and i don't mean to dismiss rom-coms because i know they're john's favorite um one of john's favorite genres but to me it was a rom-com with a twist it had more to it than just your standard uh ones you'd see your bog standard one there was comedy there was gra- gravitas pathos heartache joy there's a, it was so much going on so i weirdo a taiwanese film shot entirely on an iphone is my uh best international feature of this year they they do so much cool stuff with this movie too um i i often i will like not think about it and then when i start thinking about this movie i'm just like odd again by yeah. so much of what it does especially its use of aspect ratio is really really cool um, and again, it's, it does, it takes the rom-com genre and it does, uh, subvert it at times and does it in very cool original ways. And it's, it's, it has some really charming moments in the movie, uh, that are just great. Super, super good. Um, yeah, I think those are two awesome. Uh, I actually saw it at a different festival, um, prior to Fantasia Fest, but I, I, I was, uh, Big Tune and I were both adamant that, that Matt watched this movie because mm-hmm. it was great. So. Yep. So thank you to Big Tuna, BT and JB for that. It was a, a hell of a watch. So Fantasia led the way for our best international films. So uh, what's the next category, big man? Um, we're going to do best documentaries, which um, two years ago, 2018 was just a year uh, stock full of like, uh, I believe it was dubbed um, blockumentaries as in blockbuster documentaries because they were so many docs that were just outstanding and uh, we're getting theatrical runs, something docs don't always get big theatrical releases. Um, and, you know, you had uh, Three Identical Strangers that year, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, um, the uh, Free Solo. I mean, just there were so many big docs in 2018. And this year, while there isn't the theatrical element of it, the quality of documentaries we got in 2020 is insane. Um and I I have become a big proponent for docs over the last couple of years. It used to be a genre that uh, I would just dismiss. And I always kind of thought of like the nature docs where it's just like the guy like, oh, the aardvark eats the ant. And like, I don't care. But <laughs> as I've expanded my my viewing over the last several years and realized the uh, the vast world of documentary filmmaking, um, I I tend to. I go in phases where I really just want to watch docs where I'm like, I'm more I'm more interested in watching a documentary right now than I am anything else. And um it was hard for me to narrow down to one um because i saw some amazing docs this year and some like they're the ones that i think people are just going to gravitate to the the 10 hour um michael jordan chicago bulls one which is great and i did watch and i i do think it's excellent it's in my top movies of the year it's just not my favorite doc i think it's amazing and i totally understand why someone else may have that at the top but for me uh, there were a few that really stood out, but in the end, it ends up being one that I watched fairly recently, um, mm-hmm. and I just was so enamored with it that I I, I didn't even have it first, and, and up until yesterday, this was not what I was going to say right now, but I had to admit to myself that I clearly just love this doc too much because I can't stop thinking about it, and that is uh, another international film, The Painter and the Thief. Oh, Yes. I I just can't get over how much this movie stuck with me. 
Um, I was so captivated. I think the structure of the film is, is just outstanding. Uh, the way that the, the two stories are kind of told. Um, I, I can't, I've been telling everybody about it. That's not something I always do with documentaries. I feel like selling someone on a doc is not as easy as selling someone on a feature. And so I often don't recommend docs unless it's a person I know will watch movies like I do. Like I'll recommend okay. it to you anytime, but to like my casual friends who are, they'll watch a movie or whatever. But this one, I was like texting everybody just like, you got to check this out. This movie's so cool. It's on Hulu. Uh, listener, if you haven't, and I know I did probably mention this the week I watched it on the podcast, but just in case, um, The Painter and the Thief, directed by Benjamin Ree, uh, it, it's outstanding and my favorite doc of the year. I still haven't watched it. John, I am one of the people who John, that's John, recommended this too. I got an excited message about it. Got to watch this, got to watch this, got to watch this. So uh, it's on the watch list. Uh, and I've also seen on Letterboxd so many other people absolutely raving about this documentary, just the quality of it. So I'm going to put it on mine. And I was going to say, John has been, in this year I've noticed, or 2020, the uptick of uh, documentaries that John has viewed has been huge, all stemming, like you say, from that 2018 like, uh, watershed moment for documentaries and John. Um, the amount of doc- I mean, nothing wrong with that. We watched, which, we watched the Walter Mercado documentary um, yeah. at the beginning of the year, which is a lot of fun as well. Um, it's not my number one documentary of the year, though. Uh, my uh, number one documentary of the year was uh, again it's another topical one it is called totally under control uh, i don't know if you've heard about that or not but it's an american documentary it's a neon distribution distributed documentary and it's about uh, it's a documentary that looks at how the united states responded to the pandemic compared with south korea uh, because both countries recorded their first case of covid-19 on the same date and then, obviously, in in Korea, less than kind of less at a time, less than five hundred people had died, whereas in the states, over two hundred thousand had died. So it was like, well, how come this this civilization, this uh, community, this country's got this so badly wrong? This one seems to have gone out of control. Um, I just found it, I, I found it refreshingly on the level. It didn't feel uh, like it was bashing the United States. It didn't feel like it's overly praising South Korea. It just it seemed like it was just attempting to combine all the information that it had in hand into one place, as opposed to the scattergun nature or the biased nature of national news outlets. You know, and I know from work, from our respective countries, you turn on one news station, they report one thing, another reports the other, and it was like, well, hold on, there's a massive contradiction between what you're saying there. Um, to this kind of... Uh, uses some interesting interviews and data statistics or data statistics for you guys at hand to shape, you know, the response to this and how potentially in the future we could uh, try and circumvent this kind of level of mass horror. Um, it's it's not a documentary about people affected by it. So you don't get necessarily get people in who have had it or, or have been known people who've been afflicted by it. It's a much more kind of, um, down the middle interview with people in the know and data uh, kind of documentary, but it's really interesting. It's called Totally Under Control. It's available to rent online, which is what I did, and it's well worth a well worth a watch if uh, if you get the chance. Yeah, it's uh, I actually have it on my watch to watch list, and uh, it looks like it's on Hulu as well um, here in the states. So it's uh, I have access to it, so it's on the list. Yeah, I would happily check it out again. It's it's. It's not sensationalizing what's happening right now, which, you know, probably could have been quite easy to do that for a few more views. But 
Um, it is obviously talking about what is going on right now, which is at, at one time, at one quite odd. It's not. It's not like watching. It's. I don't know because we watch September. I watch September 11th documentaries now, and I still think Jesus. I don't feel like it was that long ago, and we we all lived through it. Whereas we are still living through this goddamn thing, and seeing documentaries coming out about it, and how countries and leaders and uh, scientists from different parts of the world have been dealing with it whilst it's still going on is is mind blowing. But the documentary doesn't play that up though, so uh, check it out. Well, I uh, I you know there's uh, again this year had some great docs. I really there's still a few that I miss and that's one of them um, that I want to uh, see before the end of the year. And I, I watched a few at the the festivals and I saw some really great ones at the festivals too. One just to throw out like an honorable mention documentary that is not available yet for everybody, but the donut man, oh, as yeah. soon as it becomes available to you, you got to see it. It is so good. Um, it was my, it was my winner for a while. And then I was just, I had to admit to myself that I couldn't stop talking about the painter and the thief. And uh, it, it, there's, definitely going to have a little recency bias because i saw that one much closer like i saw donut the donut oh i'm sorry i think it's the donut king um which i think i saw in like july or june or so it was it felt like eight years ago basically so you know um that's how it goes folks but uh definitely a great year for docs was 2020 uh check them out because they're all that's one of the things streaming services are really good about getting documentaries like um hbo alone hbo max dropped like four amazing docs this year uh just there's other ones, but just like four, like top notch could have been on my list, uh, just the same. So tons of stuff out there for us to see with that category. Um, but let's go to our next category. Yes. And this is, uh, one that the Academy only introduced about 20 years ago, didn't it? It's a fairly new category, but it's the best animated feature in a year, which actually had quite a few dropping. Again, thanks to streaming, thankfully, but, um, we're not gonna. We're not gonna not honor probably the hardest working people in film. John, what have you gone for for your best animated feature of twenty twenty? So there's a few, and uh, that easily could have made this list. And um, if you listen to our most recent episode, you probably have a pretty good idea of what I'm gonna say. And you would have been right until last night. <laughs> so one of the movies that I had missed all year. And I didn't actually know what service it was on, or I would have watched it a while ago because I didn't realize where it was. But um, I said I got Apple TV Plus. Uh, I didn't get it for this movie because I didn't know it was on Apple TV Plus till after I already got my free trial and was 20 minutes into the the other movie, which was a documentary. I watched Boy State last night. Okay. Um, I, I asked Big Tuna. I was like, okay, I, we're doing our best of show. What 2020 movie that I haven't seen should I invest my time in tonight? And he said, boy state, but you don't have Apple TV plus and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you know what? I, I'm going to do the trial. I'm going to watch it. So I'm 20 minutes into boy state. And he's like, oh yeah. Wolf walkers is on Apple TV plus. This is an animated film um, that I'd heard great things about. Uh, it's directed by Tom Moore and Ross Stewart. And my God, dude, I love this movie and I love soul. I want that to be clear. Soul was my winner. Hands down. No hesitation. No shame. I am a Pixar fanboy all day. Um, if Soul hadn't dropped, I would have probably had Onward as my number one animated movie of the year because I also loved Onward. Um, side note, I actually like Trolls World Tour because I love music and I thought it did a good job with music. I actually purchased the Blu-ray today. But that's not the point, folks. We're talking Wolf Walkers is my favorite animated film of the year. Um, our boy Sean Bean's in it. Yeah. It is an Apple TV 
original not original but it's the only place you can watch it um i'm i'm not 100 percent, but i'm pretty sure this is a uh, international film i think it is from ireland or the uk so international from my perspective um it uh countries france ireland and luxembourg according to letterbox so there you go yeah, very european um it's gorgeous like the art style is so cool and there's some stuff that i don't want to say like why it changes but some of the arts art style changes for certain reasons and it's even more amazing when that happens um the characters are awesome uh and uh, oh man i i cried a couple times uh, i was just it ended and i was like yep i know what's going into my list here uh so I'm, i this was literally the last movie of 2020 that i watched prior to recording this and it is now the best animated film of the year. It is. Um, I, I I don't like that I'm going to make a comparison to Brave. I think there's a few things that you can compare Brave to with this movie, partly because of the Irish accent. But I like Brave. I know a lot of people hate on Brave. Um, I I'm I'm a fan. This is so much better than what Brave was trying to do, and it's not exact, but there's definitely some parallels in the story and stuff. But um if you were like, kind of like, Oh, I wish brave was better. This is what you're looking for. Um, and again, it's a very different art style than what brave is doing too, because again, this is like, I don't know. I have not done any kind of BTS like info, but I, this has to be hand-drawn. Even if it's computer hand-drawn, it has that feel to it. And I, I just love it. I just think it's great. Um, so if you, again, if you decide to do the free trial for Apple TV plus man, this put this, uh, priority for you to watch. Man. Now I know where to find this film. Cause I've seen this film getting, mad hype but bonkers hype people say it's awesome uh it is looking at it it's extremely irish i believe it's set in ireland um uh, i've been wanting to watch it but i didn't know where i could pick it up and hello apple tv it's on my playstation now it's going to be downloading once i get off the the show here and i'm going to check it out because i again it probably would have slipped under my radar but seeing everybody or at least everyone to a t pretty much saying how good this damn thing is and then getting the recommendation like the, the handshake from John Burke to say, yes, you, you and the slap on the back, you must watch this. Um, I'll, I'll definitely be checking it out and letting you know what I think, hopefully on next week's show. Um, my winner is um, a slightly more obvious one in that uh, you've already mentioned it. It's not Soul, but it is Onward. I think oh. Onward as my best animated feature because now that we've seen Soul and Onward, the two kind of big releases this year from Pixar, and we've had like, Trolls World Tour, which wasn't going to win for me, and others as well. It came down; it really did come down between Soul, uh, Soul and Onward for me. And I really liked Soul; I really did. Anyone who knows, saw, heard us last week will know that. But Onward had something, and it had the thing that Soul was lacking, which I actually praised Soul for. Which was, I didn't think Soul went for the like, the emotional jugular. I think it just focused on being a good film. Was Onward had that but it had those had certain scenes in it, which just, you know, everyone I've spoken to, it got them. It got them, you know what I mean? It's, it got the tears flowing in in only the way that Pixar can do. Um, it was well acted. Uh, well, the acting was great. The voice acting, it looked really good. I liked the kind of uh, the fabled aspect of it, like the mythical aspects mm-hmm. where, uh, with, with the two guys. I think, I just think it's a really, really, really decent offering from Pixar, which I wasn't expecting to be. Uh, I saw the, like, I looked at the poster. I was guilty of judging the film by its poster. I thought, wow, it's just a Pixar film that may not work for me. I kind of like, you know, goblin looking fellas on the front. Oh, but I really liked it. I thought the chemistry was great between the two 
main characters and like their half father. I thought that's really good. The action was great. Honestly, it's just, it's just Pixar doing what Pixar do best and delivering that emotional punch all wrapped up inside a damn good film. So Onward wins for me, though, having heard what you've just said, um, I'll be interested to see if I go back to watch Wolf Walkers, if I then think, you know what, that may have actually won it for me, but I look, aim to watch that this week. Yeah, I, I'm excited to hear your take on that. And Onward is great. Uh, again, Pixar fanboy, so I'm not, not yeah, yeah. that. Um, it does not feel like it was last year, though, because I did see that in theaters, and that feels like forever ago. So it is, it's one that I have to keep reminding myself was just in 2020. Yeah, uh, it's, it's every time we say that, I always think back, and I say this every show, think back to the Bampocalypse in March, where, we, where it was a limited show before we got back into the reopening of theatres, um, and we'd just done our Onward show around about that time as well. So, uh, yeah. best animated feature. So, talking about things that are good looking, moving away from John and myself, we're looking about the, we're talking about cinematography. What was the best looking film of the year? Which one made us want to put a frame of this film up on our wall? So, John. Which film dazzled your eyes this year? And that's, to me, this is a hard category because there's so many different ways to approach this. But so I went with one that I couldn't stop thinking about, like shots from it. Like I, there's like distinct visuals that stayed with me after watching it. Um, I think even when I've seen the trailer, because this movie hasn't, it's out in theaters right now, but it hasn't had a big, uh, it's not on VOD yet, is uh, the cinematographer is, um, Sorry, the cinematographer is Benjamin Kraken um, for Promising Young Woman. Uh, I love so much about this movie, but there are so many great visuals and sequences and how the camera is placed uh, to reveal things and to show things. It's just fantastic. And I could not stop thinking about them. So um, with that, I like the way you worded it, like a frame we would just put on the wall. I think there's tons of poster images in this movie. And the proof is there's a lot of different posters for promising young woman and all of them look awesome. Um, I just think this movie looked fantastic. Uh, even the, the use of color, which I know doesn't inherently fall, um, necessarily to the cinematographer. Some of it is, is costuming and, and makeup, but, uh, the way it's framed and the way it, it is, uh, positioned is just gorgeous at many, many times. And this movie, uh, was one that I barely had any, like, I remember seeing a trailer early, early in the beginning of the year and then forgetting all about until uh, the screeners started get circulating. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I want to see this. And I am so glad that I did. This is this movie was just outstanding. So if you have a chance to see it, uh, listeners, I know, Matt, you're you're hoping to see it soon. Um, I definitely recommend it. It's, uh, in my opinion, some of the best cinematography of the year. I think it drops this Friday, actually, um, I believe, because it was a social post from the a PR team saying that you know you you wanted to see it and now it's here promising young women coming out I think it's the 15th of January don't please don't quote me on that unless it's right then quote me on that yeah. so um and as far as I'm aware that's international I've seen um fellow Brits mention that as they're going to be checking it out on that date so I'm hoping fingers crossed to be able to check it out over the weekend because again I've heard so much about it I haven't I don't know anything about the film other than the like the bare bones synopsis but I've seen like some of the the images of Carrie Mulligan and um but that's really and the post obviously that's really about it and I can't wait to watch this because a, a lot of people I respect have said it's a very good film very very good film and yeah cinematography often gets mistaken as well for 
you know, where something is in frame. Like, oh, look, there's a there's a there's a wide shot of somebody. He's on the edge of the frame, and in the background, there's some something at a nice angle or something. It's not necessarily that. It's it's the emotionalism that a, a shot can evoke. I mean, it's not just positioning or composition, sorry, of said subject. There's so much that goes into cinematography that you have to have. That's why. That's why not everybody can do it. You know, anyone can pick up a camera, but you can't tell. Not everyone can tell a story. And it's the same with cinematography. Everyone could put their eyes through a camera and put people somewhere. But like you said, it's every other aspect at play, the lighting, the costume work, it just product everything. Um, so I I really, I struggled with this one, mate. There was two for me, which I was sort of umming and ahhing about. Um, two of them we've spoken about, in fact. And one of them, I as a film, I really enjoyed. And the other one, uh, I really liked. But you were slightly, ever so slightly more keen on it than I am. And... I think I'm going to pick the one I've picked the one which I really like, but the runner up was the Wolf of Snow Hollow. Uh, Natalie Kingston was the DOP on that. I love me a snowy, I love me a snowy film and the way that they can, it can capture like the subtle menace of that film becomes like a character. I think Natalie Kingston did a great job and the winner for me, um, a second female cinematographer. So shout out to the female cinematographers, but it was uh, Virginie Saint Martin for a mermaid in Paris. Ah. I thought, what she did in that film was wonderful, eye popping, dazzling, and again, like you, like we're saying, it's it's not just where things were; it's the way that she managed to just capture feelings and emotion, but also make them look beautiful. And there are so many scenes I would have on my wall from that film. Paris is a beautiful city, and she managed to elicit that, pull all of that out, and give up, uh, and along with the team, help create this kind of like fairy tale kind of world set in modern day Paris. It was really, really well done. So a mermaid in Paris for me was the best looking. It won best cinematography for me at the Bampies, my friend. Yeah. I mean, it's a fantastic looking movie. So totally no complaints on my, uh, from me on that one. Uh, moving on to what best. we can see to what we can hear. Yeah. Um, best score, uh, which I think of all the categories is one of the hardest for me because I, I tend to become oblivious to scores if they're doing their job and and not like shocking us out of the film most of the time. Some scores want you to be like aware of it, but a lot of times scores are there to make you feel something, right? And so they kind of become invisible. And I have always kind of felt that way in a good way. Like I, I love a John Williams score, but I'm not always aware of the fact that it's there. Uh, it's doing the job. It's sucking me into the movie. And so I am oblivious. So it was hard for me to really think. and. Um, the one movie that is not in my top 20, I think that I'm going to talk about on this award show is because of the score. And that is um, because I feel Ludwig Goranson and his score for Tenet was so outstanding and just made that movie uh, even better. I, I am a big fan of Tenet. I don't think it's uh, perfect, but I had a great time watching it. But I do think the score worked really, really well. And that's something I think is true of all of Nolan's films. Uh, granted, he usually worked with Hans Zimmer. Um, and so, you know, that was, I think, part of what uh, made me kind of notice this was I was like, is it Zimmer? It's not. And so I was just kind of aware of the score going in. And um, there are definitely, I mean, so many movies that had amazing scores and some just used really cool where I'm not sure if it would be called a score because it's like using... Um, a real song, but they've, they've done like an orchestral orchestra. I don't know how to say the word orchestrated orchestral. That's yes. the word. Um, 
version of a song that like I but I also I don't know if I would have noticed it if it wasn't a song that I knew kind of thing I'm trying not to like say what movie it is because the song is amazing I don't want to spoil that experience for anyone but um, like that's uh, there's so many ways to approach this but I really I think Tenet feels like a traditional score right where it's it's all it's written for the movie everything is original it, it adds atmosphere it adds tension um, it tells you what you're supposed to be feeling in those moments. And I think it, I, it stood out to me. So hopefully I'm not a moron for picking it, but that's my choice. Nope. What you pick is entirely up to you, my friend. And I remember watching that tenet when we did it for when we did our episode. And I think we mentioned it. We were like, this sounds like Zimmer-esque, but there's something different to it. You could be mistaken for thinking it was a Hans Zimmer score at some moments. And Christ, I mean, Governs is on a hot streak for, oh, sorry, Ludwig Jarlansson is how you say it, apparently in Swedish. I got schooled on this the other week. Um, obviously, with Black Panther uh, and then The Mandalorian, uh, Tenet, he's scoring. Um, he's, he also did uh, Trolls World Tour. Uh, and obviously this, so he's on a hot streak. And, and he's such a, and he's such a, like, an innovative creator of music. Uh, Ludwig Goranson. I mean, Black Panther was great. What he's done on Amando to revitalize the Star Wars sound is wonderful. And with Tenet, it, I wasn't as hot on the film, but you can't deny that the score wasn't like pounding, like pulsating. The score was one of the best parts of the film for me. So that is a that's a very good shout, my friend. Um, mine is going to go. I'm going down under for my best score. Ah. I'm giving it to Amanda Brown for Baby Teeth. Uh, oh. I think this score was excellent, frankly, hence why it's won, obviously. But the film itself was a joy. Well, it was a brilliant film. Um, but the, the music that accompanied it, alongside, obviously, the soundtrack as well, which was brilliantly procured. But the score was just wonderful. And as you get further into the movie, and especially the the final scene, God help me, the score is just... It does what it needs to, It does what a score should do. It's there in the background and it's accentuating it's 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 helping what's going on, on the screen it's not intrusive but it's playing with your psyche and again you, you, if you don't break it those in during this film then oh what the hell is wrong with you but uh amanda brown for baby teeth for me it's just a really it's just a really it, 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 the film itself if you've seen a film you know what kind of film it is i mean the score doesn't border on melancholy melancholy it's not mawkish it's just a, it's got the emotion level just right, which I think is a very hard task to do in a film like Baby Teeth, where it would be very easy just to go for um, those kind of those uh, pleasant sounding chord progressions to pull at the heartstrings. This is something a little bit different, which is why it won for me. Plus, again, the fact that it managed to uh, elevate the scenes, which are already elevated magnificently by the cast, was why it uh, won for me. So Amanda Brown for. Baby Teeth was my 2020 best school winner. Uh, a movie. Uh, that was one. I actually didn't think of that movie as a 2020 film because it's listed on Letterboxd as 2019, but I guess its official release date is 2020. I saw it on other people's list. Um, and I'm kind of bummed because I, I really enjoyed that movie. Um, but I didn't, I never even thought about it literally until today uh, as a 2020 movie. So I was like, Oh, uh, oops. But um, great movie, uh, definitely um, not like you said. It's not a feel good movie, but uh, and that's a good segue. Our next category, we came up with the idea of most feel bad. This is a movie that we watched that it didn't make us feel very good. Um, and I, I don't know how you picked yours, um, but I I didn't go with the movie that I loved either. Uh, but I also okay. 
I kind of respected for the fact that it made me feel so bad. And you might know what it is just I think I do. I think Uh, I do. I went with fried berry. Yes! (laughs) Uh, From, uh, we saw this at the Fantasia Film Fest. Um, This movie is meant to make you feel bad. I don't think he's trying to hide it. Uh, Our filmmaker is Ryan Kruger. I know that when we posted our reviews um, that the, the, that Ryan Kruger like liked our tweet, even though it was in the text that we were like, we didn't love this. He sent a winky face or two. Yeah. But you gotta, you gotta respect what he's doing. Cause he definitely made the movie he wanted to make. Um, there's nothing. And I didn't enjoy it. I, I didn't enjoy it at all. I was bothered on so many different levels. Uh, I, I felt, I think every range of negative emotion one could experience. Um, and let's keep in mind though, like I don't ride roller coasters because I don't like to feel scared of my for my life going at high speeds and dropping. So, but other people do. So that's why I respect this movie so much. Is I, it's not for me. I didn't enjoy it, but I could totally see why someone else could. And I, I I do think Kruger made a movie that he set out to make based on. Also, I did watch the short that was a prequel or not a prequel, but essentially is the precursor for this feature. And I, yeah, I just, he, he realized his vision and it made me uncomfortable and unhappy. And it was easily my worst. uh, It was the most feel bad movie of 2020 in a year full of feel bads. I had that on my uh, short list as well. Cause I kind of, the ambiguity of this question was quite fun. Cause does it feel bad as in everything you just mentioned? Cause fried Barry made me feel things I hadn't felt for a long time. Uh, or was it like that film was so bad that I just like feel just it's drained me or did it infuriate me? Uh, I, I really, I honestly struggled so much. And even now in my head, I'm thinking, right, I've got three films and I'm still thinking, have I picked the right one? One of them is fried Barry because I felt just afterwards, I just felt dirty and grimy and I didn't enjoy the film. And it was just, it, it was a, like a bad experience watching it, even though it's like a, it's not an awful film per se. It's just, ugh, wasn't for me. But, um, I think the film that made me, I'm going to pick this one. And I, I really liked this film. It's really liked this film. Uh, the other one I would have picked was Antebellum because I just hated it. Um, but it was, it's never really sometimes always because I, I, I really liked this film, but God, I mean, it's not a film you can sit and watch and, and enjoy because it's parts of it. are just infuriating. Do you know what I mean? Like, Oh, you're watching and you're watching somebody just like how men are in this film. Um, and then watching the main character, how she is and how she reacts to certain situations. I mean, it's not a nice viewing. It's uh, it's an important viewing. It's vital viewing, I think. Yeah. But it's not one where you can watch and kind of afterwards feel like, do you know what? That was I feel good after watching that. It was a it was a heavy trip, a very very good film. But it it made me feel, it kind of made me feel like. Just angry at people, like the way just just for the events in the film, like the way that it all unfolds. So it it could have been Fried Barry, it could have been Antebellum because it's just annoyingly bad. Or but I went for Never Really, Sometimes Always because for the kind of human uh, feeling I got from it. Yeah, I I have another one, um, but I'm going to not talk about it because I'm going to talk about it later, and I'll mention mm-hmm. that it was, it was my runner up because i like you said we, we purposely left this ambiguous to have a little bit of fun for interpretation and um i so this one's a different it's more like that one where it's like a movie that i loved but also like uh it was not a good feeling afterwards kind of thing yep. 
fried berry is the opposite. It also was not a good feeling, but I also did not love it. Um, it was not, an, it was, I could not wait for that movie to end. I was like, please, please end faster. Uh, so after about 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just realized uh, the other day that Netflix has an option to watch movies at a higher speed. Yes. And I would have, I would have loved that for fried berry. Like if I could have put that at like five times, I'd be like, yes, let's, let's get through this, please. Um, but I, I do not, I don't like that Netflix has that feature, mind you. I'm just saying it would have been nice yeah. for a particular movie. Um, anyways, that's our feel bad moment. So you can probably guess, listener, where we're going next. These are movies that made us feel good. And if there ever was a year where we needed some feel good movies, it was 2020 because the year itself was making us feel bad. We needed some kind of escapism, and there were a lot of movies to offer that idea. Um, that I think I'm going to say all three, but I'm going to say two, and then I'll say the one that I've decided to go with my actual winner. Is that okay? Yes. I wonder if you've both gone for the same one. It's possible. I think the one that I'm going to end up giving the award to, I don't think you've seen. Right. Okay. Then that yeah, negates that one then. All right. So uh, first, Palm Springs. That is the Andy Samberg film. Uh, with It's like the Lonely Island movie. Um, it was a Hulu original. It, I it's one of those movies where I don't know if people know enough about it for me to say what I was about to say about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to spoil that experience for someone else, but Palm Springs was one of the funniest movies that I saw this year. Um, I was, it, it was very under the radar. I think it debuted at Sundance. Um, and again, it is Hulu here. It's got Andy Samberg, Kristen, Kristen Milioti, uh, JK Simmons, and then some other people show up that you'll recognize. It is super funny. Um, and again, I don't want to spoil the, the enjoyment of it. Um, next up, uh, is one that I was anticipating forever and it's, uh, got two returning characters, Bill and Ted face the music, um, sheer joy, sheer happiness on screen. In my opinion, it, uh, even the original film, I feel exudes, um, positivity in a way that we totally need this year. And it was, uh, easily my first the first movie i thought of when i read this category it was the first thing that popped in my brain and then i started thinking about other things and i wanted to give credit to a movie that i think everyone should give the time of day and it's david burns american utopia uh directed by spike lee and dropped on hbo max in october this is a concert film of his broadway uh performance and it's if you've seen uh, Stop Making Sense, the Talking Heads documentary shot by uh, Jonathan Demme from the 80s, um, documentary is unfair concert movie. Um, this is that, again, but different and made just before COVID. Um, so, like, he's talking about current events and the, the stuff that is happening here in the country uh, with music. And there is one of the songs um, that I think it's a Janelle Monet song normally, but he got her permission to sing it. It is so incredibly amazing um there's so much positivity and joy just pouring off the screen um and this was too uh the second spike lee film from this year and i love both spike lee films i watched a lot of spike lee this year i've watched mm -hmm. almost his entire filmography this year i i think i'm missing just like five of his movies uh to complete the filmography um or something like this very close to that and uh this movie was was just so fantastic. It's it's pure joy. And I, I don't think you've had the opportunity, Matt, because HBO Max isn't in the UK yet. And I think this is only on HBO Max right now. So like it stinks that you haven't had the chance to even uh to, to get to watch this. 
Yeah, no, I mentioned that there's a weird, obviously, it's all obviously business and contractual stuff with Sky and HBO and other networks which are preventing it for, uh, certainly exclusively for the next few years, but I think there's some kind of deal in place in the pipeline. I'm hearing that we, some of these films and shows will be coming out from HBO Max, will be making their way to the United Kingdom somehow uh, above board, of course. But no, I haven't seen that one. Um, and you know what I'm going to say? I was dead certain you were going to say that middle one was going to be your most feel-good movie of the year because it was mine. Yeah. Bill and Ted Face in Music. As soon as I saw this category, it was the first thing that came to my mind. And gen- generally, where where sort of where the clarity is there, I'll go for the first thing that comes to my head, the kind of gut feeling. And that was it. And I, I thought, well, I'll go and have a look at my letterbox and the and the two ad list I've got, like what I, what I need to add to that list. I was like, do you know what? There was films in there which I really enjoyed. There's films I got a kick out of and I got a buzz out of. But Bill and Ted just had something. Again, it wasn't a perfect film. And I said that on a review. It wasn't a perfect film. But, you know, the, just seeing the characters return, seeing what they got up to, hearing the music, hearing the, the film's all about joy, finding joy in, you know, hard times as well. Look at what we're in at the minute. And it was the film that we needed right now. Be excellent to each other, for Christ's sake, as a tagline. And just the way it kind of crescendos into, into this, like, big, joyous moments at the end it's just a, you you leave the film i mean you may not leave the film thinking it's the it's going to be in your top five of the year you may do but i mean i i certainly left thinking do you know what i had a great time with that i had a good time with that and do you know what i want to get i want to get on the on the, the pod with burke or on the phone to burke and be excellent to him even more so because bill and ted just told me to so and we were quite worried about this film because there's a high chance it could have been yeah. you know not very good but it ended up being pretty good and it gave me that feel good factor enough to name it as my most feel good of the year yeah and i totally second that again it was my gut but when i started really thinking about it and then even just now talking about american utopia i don't feel any doubt that that movie is a feel-good movie but bill and ted definitely feel good i actually want i i have two podcasts talking about bill and ted because we did it for movie club uh, just two weeks ago because Corey missed that one and we do our through the cracks episodes in december um, so that was her one of her movie picks, and I, I had no no problem watching it a second time. I enjoyed it as much as I did the first time. Um, it actually felt shorter the second time, um, which was surprising to me. I was like, man, th- I felt like it was longer when I watched it the first time, but uh, it, it's still super enjoyable. And yeah, the optimism that just gushes from Bill and Ted is is contagious. Yeah, it's like you said, it's cliche and conventional to say now, but it's it's what we. It's what we need in these times. And um, what we don't need, John, is our next category, but we're going to go into it anyway. Yeah, this is the most disappointing. These are, for whatever reason, we had our hopes up about a movie or something, and then it just, we walked out and we were disappointed. And um, this isn't necessarily the worst movie, and this is not the worst movie I saw this year by any means, Um, but it definitely did not live up to my, my anticipation, especially because of the trailer. And I blame the trailer and the song in the trailer that made me love. I was so pumped to see the rhythm section. Uh, yeah. The trailer had the song uh, In the Pines. Or I'm sorry, Where Did You Sleep Last Night by the Sleigh Bells. It's a cover. Uh, Nirvana did it on uh, the Unplugged album years ago. And it's, it. yeah, it's such a great song. And I love this version of it. And the cut of the trailer was so amazing to this song that I was so pumped. I'm like, this movie's going to be awesome. And then it's really not. It's super disappointing. And it's not, I don't feel like it's the fault of um, the the lead, whose name is not called Blake. Lively, yeah. um, who, oh, God, that, I forgot he's, man, oof. 
there's some bad there's some definite bad in this movie um for sure but um it it's still not the worst movie i saw by any means yet it was so disappointing because i again i went in so hyped because the trailer looked like it was going to be this really bombastic action film maybe this is going to be blake lively's uh you know john wick almost and um, I really liked her in Simple Favor. That was the movie that actually, I guess, The Shallow was the first film that kind of like, oh, she's actually pretty talented. And then I really liked uh, A Simple Favor, so I was even more pumped for this. And man, I'm just looking at Letterbox, and I still gave it better star rating than most other people. Like I gave it like two and a half, and everyone else is like one, one and a half, one. Um, and it, it's got some stuff in it. But overall, it was just not what the trailer sold me. And that sucked because, again, the trailer was outstanding and the movie isn't. So rhythm section is my most disappointing. I can totally see that. I had that on my uh, spreadsheet of films to watch. I literally catalog catalog every film that's coming out, basically, just so I know what's coming out in the year. Last year's one, 2020, went out the window quite quickly. But the rhythm rhythm section was on it. It was an early release as well. Um, And it wasn't very good, was it? I had two to pick from. I have got a, a a winner. It's not Wonder Woman 1984, but that might as well, that could have well have been yeah. because the first one was so good and the second one was so not good that that probably will, t- will be in the uh, mix for a lot of people's most disappointing because it really was. But the uh, fortunately, the most disappointing movie of the year for me was Train to Busan presents Peninsula. Oh, ouch! On the strength that Train to Busan was, so, I guess again was so good. Train to Busan was so good. The way, the the depth of that film, the human qualities, the emotion that they wrung out of that, especially at the end. God damn! They're making a sequel. Okay, fair enough. They're moving it to a different part of the of the area. Great. Okay, we're getting to see it from a different viewpoint. It just it lacked everything. The first one for me, and I'm um I think I've soured on it more since the review where I wasn't particularly. Like it. I wasn't particularly up on it in the review either. Um, it wasn't an awful lot I did like about it then, it, but I don't know. It's just when you compare it, it's just really, really disappointing. Again, was it the worst film of the year? No, but it is at the lower, lower tier for me. But similar to Wonder Woman, like when you compare it to something as good as Train to Busan, you think it's got to be half decent. But it was for me, it wasn't even that. It, you know, like the CGI effects were was substandard they were poor i wasn't invested in the characters if it, it just felt throwaway and it felt a bit pointless to be honest it didn't really uh take the store anywhere new really uh for me i was really looking forward to this one so in a year of uh a few films which i found quite disappointing this unfortunately takes the cake for me but you were slightly more up on that one weren't you yeah i think i soured on it a little too over time um i think i was just when I saw the before, I saw it a bit before we did the episode on it, and I liked it a lot. Then I liked it a little less when we watched it for the um, the episode, and it's definitely kind of like dwindling. It's not one that I'm like thinking about and like, oh, remember that? But uh, I I did think it worked. It, it was fun to me. I I've, I've dubbed it like the Mad Max meets Fast and the Furious, um, and those moments I thought were really cool and fun. So. Yeah, um, in a, so that's the disappointing films of the year. John, come on, bang the drum for something that kind of like made us thought, oh, that's better than I thought it would be. Uh, for me, it was one that I didn't even know was really going to be a movie. Um, it's uh, The Wolf of Snow Hollow, um, mm-hmm. directed and starring Jim Cummings, an up-and-coming director, actor. Um, I saw Thunder Road, I think, last year, uh, in 2019. I guess that's two years ago now. 
And I really liked it a lot. And so when I heard about this movie, I actually I think I heard about it from Douglas Movies because Ricky Lindholm is a regular guest on DLM. And um, I was like, oh, OK, that sounds interesting. And I threw it to you. I'm like, hey, let's, do you want to do this one? Um, I had a blast watching this movie. I thought it was really funny. I thought it was really innovative. Uh, Cummings does. He has the style that's very, very. I think you're either going to like it or not like it. I seem to like it. And so, you know, not knowing about this movie, hearing almost nothing about it at first and not even knowing it was being made, you know, I had no idea that was his next thing. Uh, also, the big, uh, I think one thing that really worked hard for me was Robert Forrester's This is His Last Movie. And I just think he's great in it. He's not in it a lot, but I think he's great when he's there. Um, and I, I just thought this movie was super cool. And uh, I haven't really stopped thinking about it where I, I kind of want to rewatch it is I, I had such a good time watching it the first time. And um, so I, it was surprised. I, it was a movie again. I, I wouldn't have, it was definitely not on my radar for 2020. It was not on my list anywhere of things that I was anticipating. So when I finally heard about it, um, I think I could have thrown Palm Springs on this list as well. Cause it was one that I didn't really know much about going into it. Mm-hmm. But uh, this one just stood out to me when I was, when I saw most surprising, I was like, yeah, snow hollow. Cause that one does so many things really well that I thought were great. And Jim Cummings has a talent. He's very talented. And Thunder Road was great. Um, and I like The Wolf of Snow Hollow as well. I'll have to put it on the cinematography shortlist because I thought it looked great as well. And Ricky Lindholm was awesome so good. in that film. She was so good. Jim Cummings is great. You know, he's very much a Thunder Road-esque character. But Ricky Lindholm was great. And I did like that film, but you were slightly more up on it than I am. But over the weeks, and certainly since doing this list, I've kind of thought about it a little bit more than I have been. So... Maybe it's creeping on back up there again, but uh, it's a good shout there, my friend. Um, mine is a streaming film. It's a horror film, and it's a Shudder original called Host. Ah, uh, Host. Uh, fifty-eight. If you, if John, if you said to me, "Oh, man, I've got this film you've got to watch. It's fifty-eight minutes long. It's a Zoom horror call." I think, oh Christ, yeah. what kind of crappy gimmick would it come up now? Because the unfriended, the unfriended films have kind of been there and done that. And I know Searching had a riff on it as well the other year. Um, that kind of technology-based film. I was like, okay, we'll watch Host. Uh, my friend Elizabeth, Bloggy Balboa, told me that you've got to watch this film. You've got to watch this film. It's, it's, it scared the living hell out of me. It's, it's incredible. It might be my favourite film of the year. Okay, because we do Death by Pod uh, together. Uh, we're on hiatus, but we're still doing it eventually. Uh, so I said, okay, I'll watch it. And I watched it. I was like, this is great. This is great. It's, it knows exactly what it is. It knows it uses its tropes and conventions, but it does it well. It uses its platform, which in this case is Zoom, brilliantly and so effectively so effectively in 58 minutes it's a really sort of taut like quite it's a frightening film it's not like um gonna go down in the annals it hasn't hasn't been tagged as scariest movie of all time but it's an effective film there's some great jump scares and it's some great actual like visual scares and if anyone is sleeping on host i absolutely recommend watching it we spoke to the we interviewed the producer jed shepherd on our show he's a right good dude uh, and the passion that that guy's got for horror and film, but this film is well one. He's now going on to work with um, that guy who did Saw, James Wan, I believe, and Lee Wan oh, wow. as well, I think. So they're going places because of this, but it's great. It's a, it's a kind of British horror for the most part. Host, 58 minutes, Shudder original, get a seven-day free trial, check it out. Absolutely I, recommend it. I don't think there could be a more most surprising movie than a movie that was literally made during a thing that no one knew was going to happen like it was like the world's coming to an end okay let's make a movie um so yeah good good most surprising because no one saw that one coming literally 
And uh, I've heard great things. It is on my list to watch. Um, I do have access to Shutter, so I am going to make that a priority, especially because it's under an hour. Um, it does qualify as a feature film, folks. So the Academy says forty-five minutes or more is like, a feature just film. About, just about. I would have. Oh, His House on Netflix almost made it for me because I was surprised at how much I really dug that as well. Uh, yeah. You watched that recently, didn't you? Yes, I did. Also, really, really great. Um, I, I watched. Uh, there's. I've watched a lot in the last week, trying to like cram everything I possibly could into the. Uh, the 2020 list and that was one of them his house really excellent film for sure uh especially um there were some genuinely super scary moments in that movie where i was like uncomfortable almost or i was like oh man yeah well uh good scary moments and good films are usually anchored only by a good performance what a link what pros we are so uh that's our next category isn't it? it's best performances of the year by an actor and actress so I guess I'm going first. Um, Big man. I, there were two, like no question for me performances. There were some amazing performances this year. I want to be very clear. This is not an easy category, but these two people blew me away in their movies. And so there was no hesitation of who to put down. Um, the best actor, I guess you could say goes to Riz Ahmed for his oh. sound of metal. Um, because I absolutely uh, just was astonished with his performance. I, I was so taken aback by everything about that movie, but especially his performance. And then um, Carrie Mulligan, who I am not a super big fan of prior to uh, her performance in um, uh, Promising Young Woman. Promising Young Woman. Man, that title just always throws me. Um, I, I thought she was amazing. And transformative, almost unrecognizable uh, from the other movies I've seen her. And I've seen quite a few of her films, actually. And I, I think I'm a bigger fan of hers than I realized. Um, I don't, I think she does a really good job in Inside Luland Davis, but I hate her in Inside Luland Davis. Uh, <laughs> I, I hear that. Um, so, like, you know, I don't think of her uh, when I think of that movie kind of thing. But um, I I really love her in, in this movie. She's just outstanding. And uh, it was it was easy for me to pick. Again, there are some I would I could sit here and list like so many other performances that I think deserve recognition. But I don't have that. We don't have that kind of time to just go through everybody who's awesome because there was a lot of really strong performances. But for me, hands down, Riz Ahmed and Sound of Metal, Carrie Mulligan and Promising Young Woman um, are the best performances. There we go. She's very good in Drive as well. Um, for I, I this is this is where I have to uh, concede now. Sound of Metal. Is uh is officially a 2021 release for the United Kingdom, so that's not actually featuring on my list. I'm being stubborn. I can't do it. I can't add it onto my list. It's going to be in my 2021 list, and I'm sure it will be fairly high you know, up as funny. well. It's it's listed as a 20. It's listed as a 2019 film on Letterbox, so it's it's all over the place, uh, hopping all over. Otherwise, that probably would have been my pick. Um, for best actor, I've gone for one of the festival picks, and. Um, when we spoke about this film, I was like, oh, when I started off, I was like, I'm, this guy's going to be, um, it's going to get right in my wick, this guy's. But I loved his performance. And, and I like this guy in most things, apart from A Nightmare on Elm Street. And it's Carl Gorner uh, for Dinner in America. I thought he was great in that film. I almost went with Hugh Jackman, Bad Education. But Carl Gorner, I think, was so good in Dinner in America in a role that could have been so hammy or so over the top. I think he was the best part of what was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant film. Um, and it makes me excited to see what the films he's in next. I saw him in uh, The Cleansing Hour, 
this year and other Shudder film. And he's fine in that. He's in the upcoming Scream 5. Uh, but I thought he was, for me, the best performance I've seen this year, only because also because I started the film thinking, oh, this, I'm not going to like this guy. And I did. I did. And I really, really, really liked that film an awful lot. So oh, uh, it would have been Hugh Jackman otherwise. But Carl Gorner for Dinner in America. And for Best Actress, I have gone for Eliza Scanlon for Baby Teeth. Yeah. Uh, I think she's so good. Eliza For me, Eliza Scanlon was the best part of Little Women in 2019. I I've said that on a review. I thought she's, she's probably like, in terms of the, the names who are in that film, she kind of flies under the radar next to Florence Pugh, Saoirse Ronan, Emma Watson. But Eliza Scanlon was the best of the bunch in that. And she's so good in Baby Tooth. She gives this powerful performance, this layered vulnerability and like this sort of strength and weakness and power and naive. It's just a brilliant performance. Uh, and if anyone hasn't seen Baby Teeth, God damn, get on board that train. But Eliza Scanlon is transformative. She's wonderful in that film. So uh, Kyle Golner and Eliza Scanlon are walking off as my king and queen of the prom this year. I like it. I like it. Uh, both great performances. I just watched David Ehrlich's uh, kind of cut. Uh, he does this really cool. T- Apparently he's been doing it for years. Um, he puts them on Vimeo. He cuts like montages of, of the best clips of the movies from the year. And then he does like uh, his top 25 and just seeing the scenes from baby teeth, uh, which is where I realized that it was people are counting it as a 2020 film. Um, like the, the, the fact that the emotions from that film resonated just from like little clips. Like I started feeling like, Oh my God. Oh my God. You know, I, that movie was so impressive. Um, definitely one worth checking out. I actually, I think I only gave it four and a half stars. And I think it was maybe because it, it's not a feel good movie. And I think maybe I, I let that impact my, my rating. I think I need to bump it up to five. Cause the more I think about that movie, the more I'm just like, man, that movie was something. Um, yeah, I agree. That leads us to our second to final category, best director. And this is uh, always a hard choice. Um, and to be honest, as much as I've studied films, I'm not always sure when I'm attributing something to a director that they deserve to be attributed or if I am just assuming that it was their decision. But I watched a lot of movies this year and I, I could have given it to any number of directors. Um, I had I was tempted to give it to what, like a lot of times what you'll see with the Oscars is the best picture and the best director go hand in hand. And then sometimes you say the wrong movie. And you have to give it to the other person. Um <laughs> But I, I decided to go with a movie that is in my top five. It is in my top five, but it's not my one or two. But when I was watching the movie, I was so aware of the decisions that were being made that I was blown away by those decisions where I was just like, wow, what a cool choice. What an interesting way to show this, to to do this type of camera move. I was really impressed, especially because this is a first time director. It's a directorial debut, but not a new name. It's a name that you will be very familiar with. And it's Regina King. Uh, for her film One Night in Miami, um, I was really impressed with her directorial debut. Um, and there are just moments where it's it's a play. The the One Night in Miami is a stage play that's being adapted to a film by I, I forget his name, but he did Fences as well. Uh, Denzel is kind of taking his plays and producing oh, them. Christ, um, um, I I'm horrible with, with George. Um, yeah, I'm not going to get it, I, but I'm going to. But if you watch Fences, Fences mostly feels like a play. It's not very cinematic at all. Um, it's not that it's not a good-looking film. It's just the camera angles are very straightforward, shot, reverse shot, people talking, right? Mm-hmm. This yeah, yeah. 
could easily do that as well. And it's not. Uh, there's the subtle uses of camera movement. She has a oneer that is just absolutely outstanding and really hits the emotions because of how she does it. There's some overhead, like bird's eye view shots of cars, like just the most cinematic way to do this movie, I think imaginable. And uh, again, she's not new to the industry by any means. So she's definitely an actress who's been paying attention to direction and to filmmaking. And she shows that in this film. So I was just really blown away. Um, I was so hooked into that movie for a lot of reasons. The performances are outstanding. The visuals are really strong where I'm giving her a lot of credit. I think a lot though. Um, but in the story is just super compelling because of who the, the people are in the, the play, um, but who the characters are. And, uh, you know, again, weighing my options, I, I debated, should I just go with my number one movie and the director? And I was like, no, I really was impressed with her as a as a director like i was aware of what her choices were and again i don't know for sure if she's actually the one making those choices i want to believe that because i i kind of subscribe to the auteur theory more often than not um but only time will tell we'll have to see what other her other movies in the future look like but i think with this debut she's going to get that opportunity and that's awesome so i can't wait to uh hopefully watch that film soon and talk about it with you my friend and dive into that um a bit more hopefully i share the same opinion is who i usually do my friend um the best director for me look we're you know girls get it done around here best director for me was rose glass for saint maud um the a24 horror film i really quite enjoyed that film i put my kind of like mini insta social review that it wasn't as nerve shredding as i i thought it was going to be it wasn't as nightmare inducing but it doesn't mean it wasn't effective. It was very effective. And Rose Glass directed the hell out of this film. She did such a good job on this film uh, in, t- in terms of how she, reading about how she motivated or, 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 didn't, or didn't, the way she worked with her actors and kind of gave them free license. She, did, she said she didn't need to coax anything out of them because they got Rose Glass's vision. They got it. And how she uh, worked with the sound team to create the wonderful sound on there and the sort of deploying the like the sets and locate locale it actually did in order to get these uh, kind of claustrophobic, paranoid performances out of the cast is is wonderful because again you have to be restrained in these times of films. It's very easy, and I did think at one point towards the end, oh no, here we go, we're going to fly off the handle now, and it's going to become one of those movies. But no, it's 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 pulled in enough, it's restrained enough. The imagery, the story, the messages here the way Rose Glass managed to convey all of that is, 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 is excellent. And this is, I believe it's her debut as well. It is, it's her debut. So we've got two debutantes winning the best director. So beat that academies. Um, <laughs> if you want, if you want real, if you want real fur films, come see the Bampies. But honestly, St. Maud is a wonderful looking film. It's a wonderfully acted film. It looks great. Sounds great. Uh, and it's dire- And like I said, Rose Glass directs the hell out of this. No pun intended. So for me, Rose Glass, St. Maud, my friend. Yeah, I, I think that um, that movie is was not on my radar until you talked about it. And then I was like, man, I guess I need to check that one out. Um, so, yeah, uh, that is director. So the one deviation we're doing from the Oscars is we're not just going to give you our best of 2020. We're going to go our top five movies from five to one. Uh, from 2020 and are we gonna go five five four, i think so yeah i think we go you alternate so your five my five and go from there this is exciting 
It is. It is, sir. Um, and it's going to be a little odd for me to start uh, only because I'm going to say the movie who I just gave the best director for. But my number five is One Night in Miami. Um, nice. This was a movie that I wasn't really aware of, but was aware of. Like I'd heard um, about her having her day, uh, Regina King having her debut. Um, and I kind of didn't know when I would get to see it. And then the opportunity came with the screener and I was like, sweet, I, I'm in. Let, let me check it out. Uh, listener, just so you know, it is dropping on Amazon Prime this coming Friday. So the 15th, the day after this dropped uh, on your podcast catcher. Um, it, it has an uh, outstanding cast. Aldous Hodge being, I think, kind of one of the standouts. But um, Leslie Odom Jr. also just uh, outstanding. Eli Gorey and Kingsley Ben-Adair. Um, I had just rewatched Malcolm X the Spike Lee mm-hmm. film with Denzel Washington playing Malcolm X for my, one of my film classes, we were watching it. And so um, I, I was like, there's no way anybody can beat Denzel as Malcolm and Kingsley Benadire just does. And wow. it, not that he beats him, but he lives up to him and he, he owns this character in a way that was very authentic, just totally great. Leslie Odom Jr. Uh, plays Sam Smith and is Sam cook, Sam cook. Sorry. Sam Smith is a modern day actor. Sam cook. Uh, sorry. Modern day singer Sam Cooke is the uh, the iconic singer that he is playing. Um, I, I was ca- so captivated. The dialogue is snappy. The performances are outstanding. Um, again, just and and how it's structured, I think, is also really compelling. And then her her direction just makes the movie so watchable, engaging. Um, I, I absolutely love this film and had no hesitation putting it in my top five. So. One night in Miami. I cannot wait now to watch this film. I was already excited to watch this film, but yeah, JB's putting it up there, and I'm hoping that it's a pitch which I can knock out of the park for a home run. I certainly hope it is because all signs point that way. So uh, I will be checking that out. Uh, spoilers, I'll be checking it out this weekend. Uh, my number five is a film that, again, it doesn't feel like it came out last year, but it did. It came out in February of 2020. And there's one I haven't mentioned yet, and one which almost secured the best actress, but it's The Invisible Man, the Lee Wan L horror film. I yeah. really, really, really dug this film. Horror, low budget, big surprise, big surprise. Uh, this could have been a surprise as well, because I just didn't think I'd like it this much. I, I thought it would be okay. And I was kind of like, how are they gonna how are they gonna play the whole uh, how are they gonna play the antagonist? Because you know you can't see him. But it's done really effectively. It doesn't feel hokey whatsoever. Um, Elizabeth Moth is so good. She's really, really good. She really goes deep, you know, play in their portrayal of, of an abused woman, basically, with falling into fear, depression, paranoia. It's a really, really great performance. It's got one of the best, best kind of most shocking scenes I saw last year in it. Uh, it involves a restaurant. I'm like, God damn, that was an incredible way to pull the rug from underneath the viewer's feet and make you think, right. No, you know, no, you're not safe anywhere now. You know, low budget doesn't mean low on quality. Absolutely, what this is what a horror film should be: had atmospheres, had scares, had great characters, had great performances, and it had horror. And it was surprisingly good. And Lee Wanell was coming off of the, you know, very good upgrade. He's now got the Invisible Man, and I think he's doing the Wolfman with Ryan Gosling uh, this year or then a year after. So he's going to place. He's building reputation. I, and now I can't wait to see who does next. But the Invisible Man was number five of the year for me. Yeah, that was a really great movie and total shocker of the year that it was so great. Like I, I was hoping it was going to be good yeah. and it was really great. So uh, awesome that it made it into your top five. Thank you, sir. Um, my, uh, my number four 
could have also been um, on the feel bad category uh, or not feel good. Um, because when this movie ended, I had to go for a walk. Um, I was so kind of shocked and perturbed and kind of stunned, but also knew that it was just absolutely brilliant. And it's Amy Simon's She Dies Tomorrow. Um, just a brilliant film in every way. And I don't I don't remember for sure. I feel like it was made during the quarantine. Um, but I if think it, it was. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. But if it wasn't, it definitely could have been because it, it uh, encapsulates the feeling. Um, and it does so in a very polarizing and alienating way. I, I totally could see many people hating this movie. <laughs> yeah. But it worked for me. Again, I didn't feel good. But, man, did this movie sit with me. And I, I really dug what it was doing, the use of lights and the, the characters, the performances, the kind of odd quirkiness that the movie offers. Um, it's got uh, Caitlin Shell, Jane Adams, Kentucker, Kentucker, really? Kentucker, oddly, Katie Asselton, Chris Messina, Chris Messina being one of the bigger names in the movie, uh, Tunde Adebimpe, Jennifer Kim, Josh Lucas is the other big name, and Adam Wingard. Um, oh, and God, Michelle Rodriguez shows up in this movie. Like, it's it's just something. Uh, again, I this isn't even a movie I would generally recommend because I just know it's not going to hit for a lot of people. This is uh, leaning into avant-garde. I wouldn't quite go as far to say it's totally avant-garde, but it definitely has some avant-garde stuff going on where it's just doing its thing, and you're either on board with it or you're not. For me, worked. I enjoyed it, and, and at the same time, didn't enjoy it. But it, it stuck with me, and it made its way to my top five. If there was a category for a film that made Matt sit staring at the screen for 10 minutes before picking up the phone and phoning John for the first time ever after a film, yes. She Dies yes. Tomorrow wins. That is a, a, su- such a true and important detail to the story of this movie for us, because uh, while we've recorded for a while now and been friends and we chat frequently through text, never has he called me. And it was outside of recording stuff. And yeah, the second the movie ended, he's like, I'm calling. I'm like, what? <laughs> I, like, I, All I right. had to. I had yeah. to. But no, I, I, I know what you mean. I dug that film. It's an experience, an absolute experience. Well, worth a watch. Amy Simetz also does a wonderful job. Um, my number four film is a film which I've mentioned a few times now. It is um, A Mermaid in Paris was my number four film of the year. I loved this film, as I've mentioned, for all the reasons up top. Uh, Matthias Mauser directed it. And, you know, the, it, the story itself is fine, but it's the chemistry between uh, Nicholas de Vaucheau and Marilyn Limmer, who uh, are two leads. It's just great. It's just great. It's just a, a classic love story is what it is. And, I love one of those. I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of an old old timer when it comes to those sort of things. I mentioned the visuals were stunning. The music was great as well, actually. Like, again, the soundtrack and in movie was wonderful. Kind of jaunty music and mixed up mix with this kind of more modern. It was brilliant. Um, so yeah, charming, sweet, dazzling fantasy experience. If you get a chance to watch a watch watch a Mermaid in Paris, you know it's a film about love set in the city of love, and it's really quite good. So. A Mermaid in Paris, for all the reasons I've mentioned before, and then is my number four film of 2020. Yeah, I that was um, I made my top ten like at the very beginning of December because I had my students doing. Uh, I'm sorry, I made my top five at the very beginning of December because I had my students doing a project where they were doing that, so I did mine, and uh, this was on it originally, 
And I watched a bunch of movies after that, and it shifted down slightly just outside of the top five. Uh, but Mermaid in Paris was definitely up there on my list for a while. Um, but my number three movie is uh, Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Oh, man. Uh, I saw this a while back um, and was uh, so floored by this movie and the performances, especially from our debut actress, um, whose name I am about to say, but I don't know off the top of my head, and it's loading very slow. Uh, Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always, directed by Eliza Hittman, um, stars Sydney Flanagan. This is, I believe, her debut. It's a debut performance, yes. And it's insane. Um, there is a scene in this movie that might be the biggest gut punch I've ever felt from a film, and it is totally her performance. Um, Bro, dude, yeah. And, and the direction, to be fair, because she's brave enough to let the camera linger on this new actress and let her carry the weight of the scene, and she nails it. And I have not been able to get it out of my head. It, it, this is on HBO Max now, so if you were like many people and missed this film for a multitude of reasons, it is heavy. It is not a fun, light film by any means, but it is a showcase in direction, writing, and performance for sure, um, especially of this year. I thought this movie was fan fantastic so much so that when i made that list i mentioned with my for my students at first this was my number one and it just got pushed down um and i i have no shame in that because the movies that pushed it down i definitely think deserve the spots that they took but it went from number one to number three so you know there's two other amazing films about to come uh from my mouth here in a moment but matt what's your number three well i hear that that was just outside my number five i think it's like number seven for me um for the reasons you mentioned, this is such a damn good film. Uh, number three for me is Dinner in America, another film from Fantasia Festival. This film just struck me, and I know it did you because of the the music aspect as well, the punk rock vibes. It's again, I'm it's it's only just got a poster, but I think it's being I think it has been picked up for distribution or someone's in talks to pick it up. So I've read, but it's great. It's just a really fun film it's a this is a comedy it's all it's got empowerment rebellion great music the, the lead performance as i mentioned carl goner emily skeggs is wonderful in this uh i mentioned up before we spoke about it first that she kind of borders the line a little bit she's really good but you know one step the other way and it could have been you know quite jarring performance but she manages to rein in the kookiness really well and together they're so good like the odd couple almost which is how they're played in the film um it's just, I don't know, it's something, there's something about, I was just, you know, when you just watch a film and you're just in, you're just locked in. I was locked in to where these two, how on earth are these two going to get along, let alone where are they going to get to? But they do. The musical, the music aspect of it is great. The comedy is really funny. The performances are great. It looks good again. The American Midwest looks wonderful. Certainly captured well anyway by the uh, DOP. Um, so, yeah, Dinner in America. Some parts are shocking, other parts are just bloody funny, and it's it's a punk rock movie in every uh, aspect of the word. So, Dinner in America, number three. I I did love that movie. Um, it it didn't it didn't make it into my top uh, twenty actually, yeah. but that's not a not a criticism. I I really enjoyed that film. I thought it was great. Um, I and I hope people are able to see it soon. That's the other catch with with some of these movies. Yeah. My number two is a film that if you've been paying attention, you probably can predict. Is promising young woman. I really, again, kind of went into the movie not knowing what it was, what to expect. 
Um, I didn't know Bo Burnham was in it, who I am a, a pretty big fan of, generally speaking. Um, it's directed by Emerald Fennel, who, again, I considered giving the Best Director Award because I was really blown away by this movie. Um, this movie does so many things. And one of my favorite things about it is if you look at the uh, the synopsis, a young woman haunted by a tragedy in her past takes revenge on the predatory men unlucky enough to cross her path. Nothing about that says comedy. And yet this movie is a dark comedy. And that's one of the things that I loved about it. I found it uh, multiple times super humorous. Um, but yet it, it's the juggling of tones that make the film stand out so much. It, it manages to be this serious crime thriller and yet has these moments of levity. And there's some genuine uh, rom-com-esque moments in this with um, some of the characters where I, I was... There is a line in this film that made me laugh so hard. Um, I won't, I won't even say the context of it. I will say the line. I'm going to buy you a bicycle is a line that is said in this film. And when it said made me laugh so hard. Um, it might've been one of my biggest laughs of the year, uh, from, from a movie, <laughs> um, just because I was so, sh I was like, what, what, who, where did that line come from? And I just thought it was so great. Um, and it's got a cast. I mean, you got Carrie Mulligan, as I mentioned, who she got Best Actress, Bo Burnham, Allison Brie, Clancy Brown, Jennifer Coolidge, Laverne Cox, who you might know from Orange is the New Black, um, Molly Shannon, uh, Connie Britton, Adam Brody, Max Greenfield, um, Chris, Christopher Mintz-Plass. I mean, there's just some people in this movie that you were going to recognize. And it's it's just everything about this movie is fantastic. It looks great. The performances are great. It's uh, totally so compelling. And the story is awesome. I, I love this movie. I cannot wait to own it. I am very much looking forward to it getting a full VOD release. I'm very much looking forward to watching it at the end of the week, dude. I can't wait. A, a latecomer smashing in to your second spot. That This is what I mean. One of them is number five for you. The other one's number two. So, And I'm going to be watching them this weekend I'm in for a good weekend. I'm going to clear the house, clear the decks, get a, get a couple of brewskis in and have a good movie even, I think, on Saturday night. Um, can't wait to watch that one, my friend. My number two, this one may be contentious to John Burke and a lot of movie fans out there, but I am British. I follow the total film and the empire. Uh, just that, I'm British. Anyway, uh, I follow the total film and empire logic of a, a film's release here. If it was released theatrically in the UK in 2020, Ergo, for me, it's a 2020 release. This film was released very late on in 2019, I believe, in the US. But it came out on New Year's Day in the UK. Uh, and it feels like it came out about 17 years ago. But it's Jojo Rabbit. 2020 oh, film yeah. for me is Jojo Rabbit. And it, well, I thought this film was magnificently <laughs> really good. And again, I thought this was going to be a bit of, you know, this is going to be slapstick, slapstick Tyker, having a bit of fun. And, you know, Rebel Wilson, Sam Rockwell were exactly that. But then you get the other side of it, and then you get um, Roman Griffith Davis and Thomas and McKenzie together. You know the young lad who's you know in wants is a young Nazi and desperate to show his allegiance to the Nazi and has Hitler as an imaginary friend, and T Thomas and McKenzie as Elsa, a Jew hiding in the walls of uh, Roman Griffith Davis' house. A boy I can't remember his name now. Jojo, obviously, um, and his mother played by Scarlett Johansson. She lives in the walls this young Jewish girl. It's really good. It's so funny. The, there was obviously that shocking moment with the shoes. It's just this, the tension in this film as well, because we know what these awful people were capable of during the war. 
there are certain moments when you just stop and you're like, oh God, no, please. It, I hope everyone's going to be okay. The performances are great. It had a lot of heart. It's, you know, in it won Taika Waititi, the best screenplay, adapted screenplay, original screenplay, one of the screenplay Oscars. Um, so I've really, really dug Jojo Rabbit. I've watched it a few times this year and I've enjoyed it just, just as much every time I watch it, if not more now, I kind of know what's coming. So Jojo Rabbit was actually, it was the first film I saw this year which, mm. you know, it's clung on up there. It's had a few hits from a few other films uh, which didn't make it. Um, but Jojo Rabbit is my second favourite film of 2020. That is a great movie, although it was definitely, for me, a 2019 film, so it's uh, not on the list, but I did love that movie very, very much. My number one. Um, I will say uh, we've covered it on the podcast, and if you listened, I think it's predictable that this is my number one. Um, it's also the only movie on the list I think that can qualify as either a 2019, 2020, or 2021 film, apparently, depending on where you live. Um, and it is uh, Sound of Metal, directed mm-hmm. by Darius Harder, um, starring Riz Ahmed, who won Best Actor for me, Olivia Cook, uh, Paul R- Racy, who deserves Best Supporting Actor, which we didn't do, but that guy makes this movie all the more important. Um, everything about Sound of Metal was outstanding to me uh the look of the film i love the opening scene when he's playing drums just the way it looks it's just him like on a spotlight everything's black around him um having been a musician for so long and uh that part of the movie definitely hits me uh one of my biggest fears which i talked about on the episode that we did is losing my hearing and so like the experience of this felt like a watching a horror movie um and then Riz Ahmed's performance, you're just uh, so immersed in who this guy is and what he's going through. And you feel everything he's feeling because he is just putting it out there. And uh, I I have not stopped thinking about this movie. The more I think about it, the more I love it. I've only watched it once. And I, I honestly, if I don't remember every second of it, I would be surprised. It feels like it was etched into my brain. Um, and it's, it's a film I know I'm going to be going back to time and time again. Uh, it's currently on Amazon Prime, but I, it is a movie that I definitely want to add to my collection. I hope maybe it gets a Criterion print um, at some point because I think it would be really cool uh, to have some awesome special features. Um, I'm also, I, I want to give credit, um, Martyr is credited as the director and the writer, but Derek Sion France is a uh, credited story. Like the idea, the premise that I've heard is that he pitched the story to Martyr years ago and was going to make it at some point and then finally was like, you know what, why don't you make it um, I'm just not going to get to it. And uh, I, I like a lot of Sion Francis stuff. I love the way he tells story. So I like to give him credit for this too, because it's just completion for me. And that it was an easy, as soon as I saw it, I was like, that's, that's my film of the year. Like I love this movie. And so uh, it's, it did bump never really sometimes always down and promising a woman came in and nudged its way in between the two and was like, no, no, I'm number two. So sound of metal, my number one film of 2020. I had a feeling it might be my friend. And again, this is the thing because it was going to qualify for next year's awards for me. So we may be talking about it in a year's time when you've seen it for the 17th time. So yes. um, there may be another chance to watch it. But no, I thought that would be your number one, my friend. I think you remember you said it on the show that, you know, come the end of the year when we do this, it's probably going to be it for you. So good choice, mate. Good choice. And Riz Ahmed was fabulous in that, uh, as was everybody. Um, my number one may, again, may come as a surprise to... Maybe come as a surprise to to JB himself, but I've already mentioned this on the uh, in the Bampies already. 
uh, and it was the best international film for me. I Weirdo is my favourite film of the year. It really was. Right. Um, yeah, best film. Again, best favourite, however you want to play that. It's up to you. But I watched this film and it hit me the most. I could happily go back and watch it again. I really dug the characters. As I as I mentioned, it's Austin Lin and uh, Nikki um, Hasai. And they're so good in this. The, their chemistry is great. They're very cute together. And then when things go on, how their relationship dynamic unfolds is... I found it fairly hard-hitting. I really did. Um, and... Again, I really hope it gets a, a wider release or at least a streaming release. I can see this landing on Amazon Prime, to be fair. To be fair. But um, it's again, it's it was filmed before the COVID nineteen outbreak, but it takes yeah. on an extra level of significance because they are basically germaphobes. They walk around with masks on and gloves on, and it came out when we watched it. It was pretty much kind of like the height of the original height of the pandemic, where. We were just kind of thinking, oh crap, this is this is actually this is the real deal. This is serious. Um, so it wasn't quite as odd seeing people with masks and gloves on as it would have been. In fact, it was quite um, quite calming to see that. But honestly, uh, I weirdo, I thought was just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful movie. Great dialogue, great performances. It had a mixture of everything I want in a film like this. It never felt coy, never felt manipulative. It just felt right. Everything ticked all the boxes for me. It's bloody awesome, man. So uh, my number one film is uh, my favourite international film of the year as well, I Weirdo. Yeah, that was um, in my top ten, number nine right now. Uh, but early on that list I mentioned that I first made, it was in my top five. Um, it just got pushed down. I had um, I had baby teeth, never really. Bad education was, in, was almost forced into number five. And The Assistant as well. Um, a lot of those films in the UK you can watch on Sky Cinema, uh, which is part of your Sky package. You can practically watch all of those apart from Baby Teeth on that channel. So check it out if you can do. But there were some of the ones that almost made it. But I think there, my friend, we've got 10 films, 10 different films. We didn't have any overlap in our top five, which I am actually quite surprised about. But uh, looking at the lists, I'm, I never really was looks like the one which almost made it onto both of ours. But I think we've done, I think we've done the film industry proud there, mate. And Mermaid in Paris and uh, I Weirdo are in my top 10, to be fair. Um, and Invisible Man is, I think, also... Nope, nope, it's in the top 15. Um, I will include on the show notes, listeners, uh, a link to a list on Letterboxd that I did. My top 20 movies of 2020. Couldn't resist the uh, the, the symmetry there. Um, and you can check out the movies that were on my list. Um, I had several docs. Um, and, uh, but I, Invisible Man is in my top 20. And so, and so is I Weirdo and A Mermaid in Paris. So I have, I have a few of your movies. And JoJo just doesn't qualify yes, for, for the States because it's a year old. So no offense to that movie. That movie is great. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was in my top 20 last year for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure at least. But, you know. Uh, but that's it. We we did it. We we've, we've recapped a, a horrible year of our lives, but a not so bad year of movies, considering all of the big films were mostly postponed, minus Tenet, Wonder Woman, and uh, Bill and Ted's, and I guess Soul and Mulan. But uh, yeah, and Artemis Fowl, which surprisingly didn't get mentioned by anyone. Can't think why. Um, yeah, crappy year in film there, but I think we've done it justice. I hope you guys can go and check out some of these films if you haven't already. If you have. Let us know what you thought. Are we mad for putting them on their list? If if we are, let us know nicely. That's we're film fans after all. Or if you agree with us, let us know. Please don't at me about Jojo Rabbit. It's a 2020 UK release. End of. 
it counts. Um, I've triple checked it. So that is that then for this episode of the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. The first ever Bampies are out. Uh, we'd love to hear what you guys uh, chose in those categories as well. Uh, next week, we're going to be back to our standard format. And guess what we're going to be reviewing, John? Can you have, do you have any idea? Oh, what is it? Tell me. It is One Night in Miami. Yeah, I know you haven't spoken about it, and I know you're quite keen to watch this, but we're going to be watching One Night in Miami, or at least reviewing it, hence why I'm going to be watching it this weekend. Cannot wait. I was already excited. Now I'm super hyped yeah. for this. Um, is that about the Ohio State Buckeyes losing to Alabama one night in Miami in 2021? Uh, I, it may, oh, it may, it may be, John. Or well, that when I finally come over to Florida, I know we can go and get a burger and have you know, one yeah. night in Miami well, or something like that. I don't know how far away it is, but Florida. Four hours. It's like four hours. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. we can go there. We can get there on, we can get there on horseback. It's fine. Um, yeah, One Night in Miami is our film for next week. So if you want to check it out beforehand and listen to us, uh, do so. It comes out on Friday. Uh, but. If you want to find us online, you can do at, on Twitter. We are at BAMP underscore podcast, B-A-M-P underscore podcast. Uh, Instagram, John, where are we? On Instagram, we are at Bloody Awesome Movie Pod. Uh, Facebook, Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. You can find me at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk and just search for What I Watch Tonight on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And John, where can I find you? At Burke Reviews on all the major uh, platforms and BurkeReviews.com. Yeah, I mean, if you have a spare minute or two, please do consider giving us a five-star rating and a good review on your podcast provider of choice. Uh, it gets more listeners in for the show. It helps us expand. Plus, we do enjoy engaging with film fans each and every week. So if you could do that, we'll give you two thumbs up. So that's four thumbs up overall, I can count. But with that, as always, stay bloody awesome. And keep watching movies. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Blood, 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 bloody, blood, 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 bl